From New York's Hudson River Valley, I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650. Read 650 celebrates writers and the spoken word, five minutes and 650 words at a time. On today's show, we explore the theme of fatherhood with three very different observations by writers Stephen Lewis, Dan Zevin, and Malachi McCoy. My father was born in Brooklyn in 1908, and like so many kids from those immigrant streets, pushed, bullied, and bullied his way through the rough crowds, and as they said back then, made something of himself. I appreciate my father's generosity, I really do. And I really do wish to emulate his confidence, his level-headedness, his ability to keep calm and carry on without the use of anti-anxiety medication. The early summer day when he took me by the hand to go for the walk, I was eager because he rarely held my hand or carried anything in his own as he believed it was unseemly for a man to care for a child or carry a parcel in his hands. Woman's work, says he. And on today's Between the Lines segment, David Masello shares a story of a life-changing New York Times essay in which he wrote things to his father that he couldn't bring himself to say. Where I confessed to being a gay man who hid that fact from his father, who he loved but didn't want to continue to deceive. That's coming up right now on Read 650. Fathers leave indelible marks on their children that last a lifetime. For today's show on fathers, we've selected three pieces we recorded at Read 650's very first live event. It took place at Nancy Manicharian's The Cell on Manhattan's West Side. First up is Stephen Lewis, a longtime member of the Sarah Lawrence College Writing Institute faculty. Here's Stephen Lewis reading, Not My Father's Cadillac. My father was born in Brooklyn in 1908, and like so many kids from those immigrant streets, pushed, bullied, and bullied his way through the rough crowds, and, as they said back then, made something of himself. The making did not come without cost. In the rubble of the Depression, he gave up on his dream of practicing law. And down that same economic highway, he came to an elemental fork. Go left and be a model dad like Ward Cleaver. Go right, build a business, and leave the raising of the kids to his wife. So. Six days a week, my father left the house before everyone was awake, and 12 hours later, came home long after the family had eaten and disappeared behind bedroom doors. Sundays, he did paperwork. The man was so industrious, so single-minded, that he missed out on every soccer, baseball, and basketball game I played at Wheatley High. Never went to Ebbets Field. <laughs> Never took me fishing. That said, the great sacrifices my old man made did not come without some reward. Applying shoulder to the wheel, he made a small business big enough to buy a ranch house in a subdivision and suburban Candy Lane. That's not a joke. I, 
I grew up on Candy Lane. And a few years later, traded the dependable Buick for his dream boat, a 1956 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. My old man stood next to that powder blue beauty with a driveway-wide grin. His brothers, Murray, Hawaiian shirts, and Mac, Argyle knee socks, who also made somethings of themselves, drove Chrysler Imperials. There was no contest. And I was pleased as punch for my dad, at least until I began to wonder if it was possible that he liked the caddy more than he liked me. And during the reign of the second Coupe de Ville, the 59, with the big gaudy fins, I finally bellowed out all my adolescent confusion and rage, pointing right at the behemoth in the garage. He had no idea what I was ranting about. So in 1968, when Patty got pregnant and Dad was just settling into Cadillac number five, I righteously vowed never to put money or career before family. I would be a good dad, a great dad. If God himself had pulled an Abraham on me, I would gladly submit to plague, pestilence, and Plymouths before I sacrificed my child <laughs> or owned a Cadillac. So you know where this is going. But let me drive you there on my own route. <laughs> I went on to lead the life I threatened I would. Went to every game, every concert, every ceremony, standing proudly next to my seven kids just as he stood beaming beside his Cadillacs. And from the driver's seat of a long succession of VW vans and other clunky counterculture cars full of stickers and dents in the spills of seven children, I found myself driving a rusty Honda Passport that whined and grunted and practically begged me to put it down. <laughs> Which was then, as these things happen in the karmic circle of life, my wife got a call from her father, who had recently bought a Cadillac SRX and hated driving it. He offered it to us. <laughs> for free. <laughs> Thus caught in the one-way traffic jam of my own making, I bellowed, no, look at me. I'm a beach dog. I'm a hipster. I have an effing ponytail. She looked at me like I was nuts, like my late father would have looked at me. She was right, of course. So there I was, all those incarnations later, Sam Lewis's angry boy, all grown up, and commandeering the capitalist pigmobile down Main Street <laughs> in our funky upstate town, enduring endless razzing from friends and foes, and what's worse, enjoying driving that lavish beast. <laughs> Elbow out the window, Dylan on the six CD changer. I knew for the first time my father's pleasures and the cosmic-sized sacrifices that went into attaining them. Eventually, the novelty faded, and I traded down for something I could drive on a beach. 
But when I handed over the keys to the salivating Toyota salesman, I understood in my bones that while my old man may not have been a model dad like Ward Cleaver, as a son, I was one big, spoiled, ungrateful pain in the ass. <laughs> Stephen Lewis is a contributing writer at Talking Writing Magazine and senior editor and literary ombudsman for Read 650. His new novel, The Lights Around the Shore, is published by Moonshine Cove. Dan Zevin is a Thurber Prize winning humorist. He's written eight funny books, including Dan Gets a Minivan and The Day I Turned Uncool, which were both optioned by Adam Sandler. Here's an excerpt from Dan Gets a Minivan, a story that's about a kind of father-son retail therapy. This is Dan Zevin on stage in New York City reading Costco. A man should never stop learning, even on his last day, my father tells me, Maimonides. We're at the entrance to Costco in Union, New Jersey. He's about to demonstrate how to maximize the cargo space of the wide-load shopping carts he has hand-selected for us. <laughs> Observe, he says, and with the flick of a wrist, he expands the folding baby seat. But why, I ask, why must we expand these baby seats when the kids are at home watching Animal Planet with our wives? All in good time, my boy, all in good time. Cervantes. <laughs> when the glass doors slide open, I experience a pre-vomit fight-or-flight sensation. My vision is blurred by an onslaught of flashing flat panel screens. A man tries to make me eat free samples of crab meat salad on a cracker. A guard chases me down, demanding to see my membership card. She notices my father sorting through his circular. Dr. Zevin, I was wondering when you were coming. My father knows the bouncer. <laughs> I can relax. I tied her tubes three weeks ago, he tells me, striding by with a smile. As we make our way in, he smiles and waves to several other personnel he seems to know intimately, and most likely does, since he is their gynecologist. <laughs> Follow me, my father says. Wait till you see the bananas they got back there. My treat. Fifteen minutes later, his card contains the U.S. recommended daily and yearly allowance of bananas. He grabs a bunch, 80 or so, and carefully places them into my cart, along with a mile-long vine of red seedless grapes and the gross national product of Nova Scotia in blueberries. To lengthen thy life, lessen thy meals, my father declares. Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> this is how my father talks, in sayings. Walking around Costco with him was like walking around Costco with the author of Bartlett's familiar quotations. But Ronald's familiar quotations are way more familiar, at least to his offspring. Over the course of the next few miles, he quoted Gandhi, Einstein, Da Vinci, DiMaggio, Jung, and Allen. Woody. <laughs> the most memorable quote he ever gave me came on my bar mitzvah when he was called to the pulpit to provide fatherly advice. It was from a Rudyard Kipling poem called If. 
If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, then you'll be a man, my son. Based on that benchmark, I never became a man. <laughs> but it wasn't until answering my father's clarion call to Costco that I suddenly identified the real roadblock. He was standing in aisle 4000B with an ear-to-ear -ear grin and a shrink-wrapped 60-pack of paper towels. <laughs> Tactfully, he removed himself from the embrace of a supervisor whose name tag read Esther and upon whom he had recently performed a pap smear. <laughs> the time had come for him to reveal the secrets of the expandable child seat. As he instructed, I flipped down the plastic red covering, thus blocking the leg holes. Words were not necessary as he presented me with paper towels. He merely motioned with his shin to put them where the child normally goes. It was uncanny, a precise fit. <laughs> A new type of thinking is essential if mankind is to survive, my father remarked. Albert Einstein. I appreciate my father's generosity, I really do, and I really do wish to emulate his confidence, his level-headedness, his ability to keep calm and carry on without the use of anti-anxiety medication. But something about the paper towel situation made me see what I had to do to be the kind of man my father is. Like Odysseus, son of Laertes, I had to break away. Because just like Homer will tell you, it's hard to feel like a man when you're in your 40s and your dad is still buying you paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing I knew, I was on my own, overcome by a powerful, nearly primal pull toward a double-wide flat of Poland Spring mini-bottles. If I wished to replenish my family's water supply, it was up to me now. Seizing my conquest from the shelf, the wisdom of the elder echoed in my mind. Use the rack underneath your shopping cart for the oversized flats, Danny. Most people don't even know that's what it's there for. With the water beneath my cart, I had completed a critical step in my initiation. I was on my way to becoming a provider. Not long from now, our roles will reverse, and I'll be the one providing for him. I'll provide a 76-count case of Depends, a Medline Deluxe Rolling Walker with built-in cup holder, a 30-pack of hearing aid batteries and a choice of orange, brown, or yellow. And when his time comes, I'll provide him with the one final item we found by the exit doors. It was the Costco coffin. My father quoted Woody Allen as soon as he saw it. I'm not afraid of death, he said. I just don't want to be there when it happens. When it does, though, I'm pretty sure I know where he'd like to be buried. I shall bring my son Leo to Costco one day, and Leo shall bring his son, and the patriarchal cycle of seven providers shall forever continue. In the meantime, I decided to spring for the bananas. Handing my brand new membership ID to the cashier, it struck me that you don't really know what you look like until you've seen your digitized face on the back of a Costco card. On mine, I'm the spitting image of my dad. Dan Zevin has been an award-winning humor columnist for the New York Times, a comic commentator for NPR, and a contributor to print or digital editions of The New Yorker, McSweeney's, Rolling Stone, Salon, The LA Times, and others. He teaches comedic writing at Sarah Lawrence College. 
Malachy McCourt was born in Brooklyn, but from age three was raised in Limerick, Ireland. He returned to New York at age 20 and worked as a longshoreman, a truckloader, and a dishwasher until he became an actor, a career that took him to Broadway, off-Broadway, soap operas, TV movies, and feature films. Malachy is also a gifted and prolific writer, and here he is, recorded live at 650's inaugural event, On Fathers. This is Malachy McCourt reading from the pages of his memoir, A Monk Swimming. Did you hear the, about the two monocles? <laughs> they got together and made a spectacle of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the day, the early summer day, when he took me by the hand to go for the walk, I was eager because he rarely held my hand or carried anything in his own, as he believed it was unseemly for a man to care for a child or carry a parcel in his hands. Woman's work, says he. We walked out by the way of Ross Brine, past the white gates of the railway, past the small houses the English built for railway workers. He told me we were going to a place where there was a well that has the sweetest, coolest, magical spring waters which are there to make you happy. I couldn't get over how much I loved my dad then for bringing me to this sacred, secret place. We clambered over one stile and crossed a field that had cows who looked at me and frightened me, but my big, brave father traced them off with a wave of his hand. Over a ditch we went with him, me carried above the clumps of stinging nettles, which he said were good for you when brewed for tea. We walked to the middle of the field, and there, missed the clump of rushes, was the well. It didn't look to me like it was too magical, as it was just water surrounded by some built-up stones. Kneel down and drink it, he said, and I did. And I tried to remember something I'd read in a Bible about soldiers being selected for battle by Moses, and whether they cupped their hands and drank the water, or was it that they put their mouths in the water and sucked it up? Well, I thought it was braver to put my mouth in the water and suck it up. It was the loveliest water I'd ever tasted, and the more I drank of it, the lovelier it became. And then we lay under a big shady tree, which was the home of dozens of birds, and my father made up stories of bravery and dying for Ireland, and he sang many songs and recited poetry and manufactured tales of the doings of the shapes in the clouds. The bees hummed, the birds sang, and the insects cricketed all around us as he talked, crooned, and made great use of the language to fill a child's mind mind with joy and with wonder. The marvelous sun began its descent in the sky, and all around us the natives of nature began the rustling and settling for the coming evening's rest. My dad told me that all creatures had one thing in common. They all knew how to pray. And that's what they were doing now, thanking God for another blessed and wonderful day. And we should go now and leave them to their devotions. 
The darkness was falling as we walked back along the road to the fetid lane, and there were scary moos and caws and screeches from the fields on either side of us. But my dad picked me up and held me close, and I wasn't afraid anymore. And I fell asleep and didn't awake until the next morning. When my father left us and went to England, I went to find that well again. Over the same stile I went, over the same ditch, where the stinging nettles threatened, past the big sheltering tree to where the well had been. It wasn't there. No rushes, no well. I tramped all over that field, and the field to the south of it, and to the north of it, and every other field. But never again did I find that well, and never again did I find the father who brought me there. Malachi McCourt worked as a radio talk show host in New York City. He's published articles in many periodicals, including National Geographic and the New York Times, and he's the author of five books. He's also the recipient of numerous awards, including the Irish-American Writers and Artists Eugene O'Neill Award. The stories you're hearing today, along with many others, are available in book and ebook form. It's one of many themed collections we've published that help fund our mission to promote writers. They're great gifts and perfect bedtime reading, and you can view all of our themed anthologies, including What We Wore, Summer Jobs, The Great Outdoors, and many others, under the Shop tab on our website, read650.org. Read650's executive producer is Richard Kolath. I'm your host and Read 650's founder and executive editor. Our editorial team includes Stephen Lewis, David Masello, Lisa Donati Mayer, Karen Duquesse, and Shelley Sadler Kenny. Our announcer is Fran Tuno, and our show is produced with help from Jim Russick and Sarah Caldwell. Stay with us, we'll be back after this short break. I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650. Support for Read 650 comes from Nancy Manicharian's The Cell in New York City. Dedicated to the incubation and presentation of new works by emerging artists, The Cell has produced over a dozen critically acclaimed world premieres of new plays and musicals and serves as a home base for a large community of resident artists and organizations, such as Blackboard Reading Series, Artists Without Walls, and Tribeca New Music. View details and performance schedules at thecelltheater.org. Read 650 contributor David Masello is an essayist and poet who writes about art and culture. For today's Between the Lines edition, David shares a poignant memory of a conversation he almost had with his father. The first phone call came around 10 at night on Saturday. It was from my Aunt Dora, my father's older sister who lived in New Jersey. I just read your piece in the New York Times, and I wanted to let you know that I won't tell your father, she said. She was referring to an essay I had written, I was 35 at the time, for the paper's Sunday magazine, where I confessed to being a gay man who hid that fact from his father, who he loved but didn't want to continue to deceive. When I wrote the essay about what it was like to visit with him in Florida, where he was then living, and have to conceal the truth about 
who I was beginning to love back in New York. I both wanted him to read it and not. When I told friends about the essay having been accepted and its imminent publication, I insisted that my father wouldn't see it. He lived in another state, he never read the Times, word wouldn't reach him. Other family members, including my mother in Illinois, who received the Sunday paper the night before, began to call, in tones both somber and reassuring. Eventually, near midnight, my father called from his townhouse home on the west coast of Florida. He was crying as much about the revelation as he was about the ramifications. AIDS was everywhere in New York, and it terrified him. Eventually, he handed the phone to his girlfriend, a woman his age with whom he was living. He'll call you later, sweetheart, she said to me, before hanging up the phone, among the sounds of Dean Martin playing on their stereo. I also knew what was haunting my father about the piece. I quickly wrote him a letter telling him about Mac, the person with whom I would soon be living, and who he would eventually meet and embrace, and reassuring my father that I never dressed in drag, never adopted any effeminate mannerisms, that I was healthy and safe, and that my best friend was indeed Adana, the woman he had heard about for years. My father always had trouble hearing something or reading anything he feared would make him feel worse, even if the message had the potential to heal. Several years later, when I was in Florida to empty out his apartment, I found that U.S. Postal Service envelope I had overnighted to him the day after the essay appeared. The red, white, and blue envelope with its bold eagle logo sat flat on a crowded bookshelf, its zippered pull partially open, but not fully. I have that sealed envelope still. I've not opened it. I know what it says. And I think my father did, too. David Masello is executive editor of Milieu, a national print magazine about interior design. Previously, David held senior positions at Town & Country Magazine, Country Living, Art & Antiques, Travel & Leisure, and others. Prior to his magazine work, he was a hardcover nonfiction editor at Simon & Schuster. He lives and works in New York City. If you liked this episode and like our show, please tell your friends. If they don't know how to follow our podcast, please show them. And if you haven't done so already, please follow the podcast so you receive our new episodes every Writer Wednesday. That's our show for today. Thanks again to writers Stephen Lewis, Dan Zevin, Malachi McCourt, and David Masello. For more Read 650, you can view many original performances on our YouTube channel. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're a writer, please check out the submission prompts for our upcoming shows on our website, read650.org. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650.